Welcome to Ask Away with Vince and Joe Vitale and hosted by Michael Davis. Vince and Joe Vitale are currently leading the Zacharias Institute. Both hold doctorates from the University of Oxford, Vince in philosophy, and Joe in women in the Old Testament. In a world that increasingly sees the Christian faith is irrational and irrelevant, it is more important than ever for believers to be prepared to give a defense for the faith. Ask Away is brought to you by Robbie Zacharias International Ministries. It's time to Ask Away. Hello and welcome to another episode of Ask Away with Vincent Joe Vitale. I am your host, Michael Davis. The concept of hell and of Satan have definitely gone out of fashion in the Western church. But the truth is that scripture is clear that he is not only here, but is actively trying to destroy that which God loves. If God is so powerful, why would he allow Satan to exist? Why not simply destroy him and be done with it? But before we get started, Vince, could you tell us a bit more about our upcoming reboot conference at Mount Pisgah Church in Atlanta this coming up May? Sure thing. Yeah, I'll talk about uh, reboot. That's nice and fun, and then I'll leave Satan uh, <laughs> discussion to Joe uh, I'm and with you. you. Uh, reboot's going to be great. Um, uh, we're going to be doing that in May. It, it's a one-day conference for youth, ages 13 uh, to 18, heavily based on the questions of the youth, short, sharp, highly energized talks on a whole variety of questions. We try to pick the questions that we think are most timely to the culture right now, the sort of questions that uh, people are going to get from their friends and their classmates. Uh, and it's a it's a really fun day. Lots of opportunities to interact with the other people who are there. We'll be bringing a whole bunch of our team. Uh, we're expecting a full venue, and we hope you can join us. Absolutely. So let us jump right into this conversation. Uh, Question number one, did evil exist before the creation and fall of Lucifer? If God is all powerful and all good and without sin, how did he create a being like Lucifer that was able to assume evil? And this is coming from Jarvis. Wow, thanks, Vince, for <laughs> handing that one over Hunt? to me. We're generous in our marriage. Vince likes to yeah. spoil me with all the good questions. We but, share. Yeah, we share. Um, but, uh, yeah, what I might just do is speak a little bit about Satan and then pass it right back to you, our resident Dr. Evil in the corner. Um, but, uh, firstly, let's just start off with a question because it's a great question and it is unpopular today, the idea that Satan even exists, actually. You know, for a lot of Christians I meet would say, well, is he even real? Isn't he just some kind of legend or symbol, but I I don't think there's any getting around the fact that um, if you take scripture seriously, that actually Satan is um, a real person. Uh, We hear him referenced in different ways throughout the Bible. Obviously, at the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, he appears under the kind of guise of a serpent. Uh, But then if you move ahead to Job, that's when we first hear the term Satan, which means adversary. And actually, he's, he's called in Job the adversary, the kind of ultimate opposer. Um, if you like, but then moving into the New Testament, you have other language used to describe him, the ruler of the world, the God of this age, the prince of power, um, but constant references to um, this created being um, who um, features throughout the Bible. And, you know, if nothing else, we know Jesus treats Satan as incredibly real. And when we see him being um, tested in, in the desert and they have this back and forth conversation and quite alarmingly, actually, Satan is trying to use scripture against Jesus. He's is using the Bible against him and Jesus is kind of throwing it back. But um, all that to say, um, we do believe as Christians that God did create Satan uh, because he exists and we believe that God created all things. So I guess the question for us is, um, is why would he do that? 
Vince, why? why? <laughs> I feel like we're playing ping pong here. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting that you, you know, mentioned in today's culture, you know, people can even doubt the existence of a being like Satan. But, you know, it's interesting to note that, you know, when scientists, for instance, speculate about the existence of other uh, life forms, you know, alien life forms, uh, we don't think that's odd at all. You know, that that happens uh, frequently. Um, Richard Dawkins has been quoted in saying that's a very interesting hypothesis that life could have been seeded here on Earth by extraterrestrials. So I, I just find you know it interesting that when scientists in a naturalistic framework talk about the existence of other forms of life, that's not odd. But then when a Christian talks about a form of life other than humanity, which is recorded in the Bible, then that's all of a sudden something which we can't take seriously. So I very much think we can um, take the existence of angels and of Satan uh, seriously. And I also think it makes sense uh, that God would create a variety of types of beings. Um, He's a creative God. Uh, and he's an intelligent God. And and we know that he's created beings under us. You know, we know there are cows and chickens and ants and spiders and all sorts of interesting beings below us. Uh, well, why wouldn't God create other forms of being as well and actually put together this kind of rich tapestry of life where the way that we behave uh, and the things that we believe have an impact on the beings below us? And maybe there are also uh, beings above us in some sense, and the way that they behave and believe has an impact on uh, the way that we experience life as well. That seems to me like a, a sort of beautiful richness of a tapestry of life that a very creative and intelligent God uh, may have created. But to kind of dive in on this question, I, I mean, I guess the first thing I would say is uh, – in one sense, we're ping-ponging because this question is above our pay grade, um, <laughs> and and that's okay. Uh, having a rational faith does not rely on having a complete answer to every question. Uh, I am very rationally justified in believing in gravity, but there are all sorts of questions about gravity that you could ask me that I have no idea about because I just don't have the expertise. And in fact, the Bible talks in a variety of places about knowledge that's too wonderful for us uh, and that's too lofty for us to attain. That's Psalm 139, and you can find similar statements in a variety of places. So an encouragement as we start, this is a really good question. It's a question worth us digging into, uh, but also a reminder that having a rational faith doesn't mean that we should expect to have a full and perfect answer to every type of Question: We have a rational faith because we can answer the core questions that focus around uh, the person of Jesus, who he is, what he claimed, uh, and what and what he has done. So, to frame this question, uh, God is all good, and someone who is all good would only create good things. So then, how could it be the case that from a good God who would only create good things, somehow we wind up with evil? Uh, difficult question. And I let me just throw an analogy out there that I find helpful, and then uh, maybe one of you want, want to speak to it as well, Michael and Joe. But I find helpful the analogy of a uh, buffet line. Uh, I'm not very good. I like the buffet, but I'm not very good at the buffet. And the reason is Love. because everything looks good to me. And it is all good. <laughs> you know, the chicken wings are good, and the veggies are good. 
and you know the Asian cuisine over here. Well, that's good too. And it it doesn't. I don't have the discipline to say to myself, although those things are all individually good, they don't all go together very well. And I put them all on my plate, and then I'm in trouble. And this is something of the way that I think about how a good God created only good things, and yet we wound up with evil. He created only good things, but when those good things are put together in ways that they weren't intended to be, that's when evil comes into the universe. It's a good thing, I believe, that I have free will. It's a good thing that I have strength in my arm. But if I use my free will and combine that with the strength in my arm to throw a punch rather than to help someone, that's when evil comes into existence. So I believe we had a good God from all eternity, existing as the Trinity in perfect relationship, enjoying one another, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That God created only good things, but when those good things by free will are put together in ways they were not intended to be put together, that's when evil enters the universe. You know, uh, we can't have an episode where I don't quote John Piper. Um, There's a one of the things that really helped me kind of really understand Satan's position in the created order is Job. And then also, obviously, in regards to evil and the story of uh, Joseph. But ultimately, uh, what, what Piper says a lot is that that Satan is a lackey. He does nothing external to God's will. So when you look at the story of Job, the devil didn't do he, – he asked for permission. Um, ultimately – um, God knows – God is perfectly good, but he also understands that at, at the end of history, the result will be totally good. But throughout the course of that history, a lot of really bad things are going to happen. And I do believe – and I, I, I genuinely believe that Satan does nothing – uh, a, that that doesn't ultimately. Well, I mean, what happened with Joseph? What you intended for evil, God would use for good. And ultimately, even though that God or that that Satan is the god of this world and the powers and principalities, but ultimately, even the, Satan's works. I mean, read the end of Revelations. I know how the book ends. I've read the back. Everything will work together for good. Um, and Satan is just he's he's a lackey, and I know it's probably not a very popular perspective, but it, but ultimately God will use the most evil, even whether humans or angels. But God's will and purpose will be done. I guess just to um, just another you know another way of seeing what you've said is to say that um, Satan has no power over right. God. There exactly. isn't a cosmic battle taking place between good and evil exactly. with confusion over how things are going to end. Uh, God is the ruler of the universe. And so anything that happens, God allows. Now, I don't always think that means that God causes it. I would make distinctions there. And I think that a a lot of the evil that we see is, um, is caused by Satan and God is allowing it to take place, like Michael has said, because he actually has a plan and a purpose uh, to redeem and to rescue and that God can take even evil um, and and turn it into uh, into good, and that's uh, one of the many reasons why he's so worthy of of worship. But but I think um, you know, on this question of how could God create Satan, I think 
I, I would want to answer that the same way that he can create us. Yeah, I and mean, we don't know. A good point. We don't know much about Satan. I think, you know, Vince was right to say, you know, there are limitations to what we know. And, you know, and you can be rational and not know everything. In fact, it would be irrational of us to over speak about Satan beyond what the Bible tells us. That would just be arrogance to claim that we know more mm. than we've actually been given. But but one of the um, threads of scripture seems to be that Satan, as a created being, is someone who has rebelled against God. And and so if we understand it in that framework, then God could create Satan in the same way he could make us because we've also gone and done the same thing. And I actually think rather than seeing that as a character flaw in God, that he would create a being like Satan, you know, when I suddenly realize that applies to me too, I think, wow, doesn't that actually speak to the grace of God that rather than just, as we've said before, in, you know, in different episodes, in different contexts, rather than just creating beings who can only obey him, God, God is loving and gracious enough to actually create beings who have some kind of and um, free choice as to whether they will worship him or not. And not only does that appear to be true of humans, but actually yeah. it, it appears to be true of what he says about Satan also. And, you know, sometimes when you read literature around Satan, particularly in some of the kind of... Um, classics like Milton's Paradise Lost, sometimes Satan can also be portrayed as a slightly heroic, you know, sort of figure who's, who's you know, he represents all the freedom fighters and rebels everywhere. He's rebelling against this tyrant of a god. But, um, uh, you know, Milton has this one line, it's uh, bet, better to serve in hell than reign in heaven, which seems to be the statement over Satan's life. And I think a lot of people who um, kind of get behind that idea, this idea of a tyrant God who we rebel against and Satan representing the best of that. But actually, um, I would want to beg the question, if God was really a tyrant God, he wouldn't have made Satan that way in the first place with any choice as to whether he would obey him or not. The same way that he wouldn't have made us with any choice as to whether we would obey him or not. So actually, far from being this kind of tyrant that we should celebrate the rebellion against, actually, it, it just turns out to be utterly tragic that that God creates beings Um out of his goodness, out of his love, and yet we consistently rebel against him, both Satan first, but also all of us as well. There's this rebellious within us that God, out of his mercy and love, uh, allows us to have that choice rather than um, that that implying some kind of character flaw in him that he would have made Satan in the first place. Yeah, and I think when we uh, ask the question of how does evil come into the world, you know, Joe, you're absolutely right. It's a question about um, Satan. It's also a question about us, um, as well. And I just think when you turn to the first few chapters of the Bible, you get an explanation of that, which is so rich. And sometimes we uh, get caught up on uh, the science of it all. How many days are we, how many hours uh, in these days are we talking about? Are we talking about 24 hour days? Are we talking about longer periods of time? Those are very important questions, but sometimes we get so focused on those types of questions that we forget the uh, just insight into the human condition, which is present in the narrative. And so you have Satan in the form of a serpent and you have Adam and Eve. And first they're tempted. Did God really say this? And there's this seed of, of doubt, which is sown. So there's the temptation. And then there's this doubt in terms of what God has said. There's doubt about God's word. And then there's disobedience. Then Adam and Eve feel shame. That is their instinctive reaction to their disobedience. Then they hide from God, so they feel the shame. And then they go and hide from God. I'm sure some of us can relate to that. And then they start accusing each other. Adam points at Eve and says, she did it. In fact, he says, this woman that you put me here with, so in a sense really pointing his finger at God as well, 
she did it. Then Eve points at the serpent and says that he did it. And then you have the breakdown of healthy relationship that eventually leads to suffering. So you have this trajectory from temptation to doubt about what God has actually said to then sin and then to shame and then to hiding from God and then to finger pointing at each other and ultimately at suffering. And when I read that story, I just think that's absolutely true of me. I have I have lived that story time uh, and time again. It tells the truth about where uh, evil comes from. Okay, that leads us to the second question by uh, Sarana. Um, why didn't God destroy Satan in the beginning? And I'm going to say, uh, why didn't uh, God destroy Satan after he rebelled? Thank you, Sarana. That is a really great question. Um, again, I, I want to be careful with this one because I also feel like this is above our pay grade two and mm-hmm. you're trying to speak into the mind of God and why God does things one way and not other ways. Um, it's beyond me. Um, but just, to, I mean, a couple of, uh, I guess, hypotheses around this. And one thing I would say is, again, just like the first question, I think is also a question about us. I think so is this one. We could also say, why didn't God destroy us when we rebelled? I think it's that very same question of what is God like? Is he a God who, as soon as people turn away from him, he says, right, that's enough, you're, you're done? Or is he a God who actually loves us enough to allow us a fr- the free choice that actually has meaningful implications that when you freely choose away from God, God actually lets you walk out the consequences of that decision. And is that unkind of God or is that actually respecting us as he, as persons who have the ability um, to also take responsibility for the decisions that we make? So I think that that's, that's one thing that I would want to say to that. It's also interesting to me, actually, because in the last episode, we were talking about um you know, how could God possibly dare to judge and destroy people in the Old Testament? And whenever it's about, you know, human beings or something like that in history, we get outraged. And yet we also get outraged the other way around. Whenever it's negatively affecting us, we're outraged that God didn't destroy Satan. So I think it just goes to show that actually, in a sense, God can't win with us because we're Hmm. always finding fault with him one way or the other for why did God do things this way? Why didn't he do them that way? If I'd been God, I would have known better. I think it's it's kind of often... um, some of the feeling that that we have um, when we wrestle with these questions. Um, but, but I also think that there's a reality to the fact that sin doesn't just affect the person who sins, but also it, it has knock-on implications for everybody else as well. We see that with Satan, don't we, that, that his rebellion against God also really negatively impacts the rest of us. And, and Sarana, I would imagine that is the hot behind your question. Why did God allow that knock-on effect when it was going to have such devastating implications for humanity as well? Now, I think I'd want to say, and I think Genesis makes it clear as well. It's not only Satan who is at fault here. Yes, he tempts, but Adam and Eve also bear responsibility for what happened. So I don't think we can pass the buck entirely onto Satan and say, well, it was all his fault. Um, Eve has a good go at that, um, but I don't think that that's the whole picture here. Um, Everybody is involved in this. But I also think the fact that God gives us free will and the ability to also bear the consequences of free will and take responsibility for it also means that he has to allow us to live in a system where other people's sin affects us. And I think that's true of Satan's sin affecting us, but I also think that's true of the way that our sin affects one another. And I think we see that all the time. And I, I think it helps us to understand why God is so adamantly opposed to sin, because not only is it self-destructive, but what we do often has far wider reaching implications for the lives of other people than even we see, like the ripple effects of our sin reach so far. And I think looking at Satan actually helps us 
recognize the state of our own hearts and the negative effect we too can have on other people. Yeah, I was just thinking how amazing it is that Jesus says to love your enemy. And then the same, you know, New Testament talks about uh, the devil as the one who is our enemy. Um, And, you know, just how unfathomable the grace of God is that, you know, even knowing in his omniscience, you know, who Satan would become. God still gave the grace of him being given existence and a free will to make that decision. He honored him with that free choice to make that decision um, for him or against him. Um, And maybe that's an encouragement, you know, to someone out there who's saying, you know, could God love me Um, that, you know, could God love me if he knew what I was going to do, if he knew the way that I was going to behave, if he knew how dark this season of my life would be? Well, you know, Jesus said, love your enemy. And the Bible says that even the devil is um, our enemy. And if God's love could be so great that it could bring into existence someone who would be so fully against him one day, uh, then surely God's love and his grace is sufficient for you. I'd like to kind of uh, unpack a little bit about what you were saying, Joe, is is the connection between uh, the, like the demons and Satan and, and their rebellion and then humanity. Every human being, uh, in that grand, not necessarily in this grand fashion, um, has have, has committed the sins that's that Lucifer uh, committed and that the demons committed. They have chosen their pride and their will over God's, and that is something that we do daily. But one of the things that we could be so grateful for, a showing of how gracious and merciful our God is, the fact that you ask, uh, why didn't God destroy Satan in the beginning? Um, he, he did destroy him. Uh, he will be cast into um, the fire, the, the, the eternal unquenching fire, um, which in reality, if you take this as precedence, something that we all deserve, but the fact that God would go so far as to come to earth to, to, to live a life that we could not live and die the death that we deserve so that we as fallen creatures who deserve the same penalty that, that the demons deserve would be given an opportunity to, to be Come to, to to put on the righteousness of God to to have our our sins and our crimes washed away. That is just so unbelievable. We all deserve the fate that that Satan deserves. Uh, but what God does is He gives us a way so that the just the justice that should be on us is placed upon Christ at the cross. And let's not let's not think about how how weird it is or how crazy it is that Satan was allowed to live. Let's think about how crazy and amazing that we are allowed to live and to not just live but live forever. All that is required is just a faith in Christ and what he did on the cross. And that is just – that is amazing. Mm -hmm. I can imagine someone, you know, thinking, well, why – you know why? Why doesn't Satan get more opportunities? You know why can't uh, like us? Why can't you know Satan make a decision to you know repent and and trust in Christ? Um, and we ask the same question you know of ourselves perhaps you know after we die why can't God just give us you know an indefinite 
number of opportunities to to turn back to him. And on the one hand, I think it's the wrong question, you know. Uh, if God gave us nine opportunities, we'd want 10. And if, if he gave us 999, you know, we'd want 1,000. As you're saying, Michael, how amazing that he gave us an opportunity, especially when you look at what it cost him yeah. to give us that opportunity. Uh, and at some point, if he's going to allow it to be meaningful for us to make that free decision, then he has to allow it to be uh, a decision which is uh, decisive. If he just, for any being, just leaves it open for eternity, that uh, at any point you're just going to be offered over and over and over to turn back uh, to Christ, and the result of that being that inevitably everyone would have no choice eventually but to turn back to Christ, well, then you haven't actually given that free decision in the first place. So it's amazing that God gives us any opportunity, that he even gives us one opportunity in so many of our lives. It's amazing the way that he reached out to us time and time and time again, um, giving us that opportunity. But at some point, both in Satan's life and in our lives, he has to allow our decision to be a final decision if it's to be an actual meaningful free decision. Well, that leads us to the next question from Livin. Livin, I am so sorry if I butchered your name, but uh, from Livin, why did Satan sin? Did he have to? Thank you so much for this question. Um, We don't know exactly why it is that Satan sinned, um, but there is one verse in the Bible that people people believe may well be referring to some of that narrative of what took place, which is in Isaiah chapter 14, where where seemingly speaking of Satan, the text says, you said in your heart, I will make myself like the most high. So traditionally what people understand to have been the core of of the issue for Satan, as I actually think it is for most of us, is is a pride that says, I want to take the place of God. It's not enough that that, um, he's God and I worship him, but that I want to put myself in his position and that that's where um, the rebellion comes from. And I know I often hear people say, "Um, how is that possible that Satan could have been in the presence of God? He could have um, you know, experienced him face to face and lived with him, and yet he still fell away. Um, how could such a thing happen? It's almost as if we're kind of pointing the finger at Satan and judging him, I sometimes think. But actually, um, the more I reflect on it, the more I realize how easy that can be to do, that actually that pride is really within all of us. I mean, I see it in my own life all the time that actually, although I wholeheartedly believe in Jesus, you know, although I have intimacy of relationship with him, how much do I still often have that wrestle within my own heart and um, that that feeling of, oh, maybe it's better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. Or just not that thing. I'll worship you in all these areas, but don't take that one thing from me. It's this constant battle that I think if we're honest with ourselves, we all face. And I think that's the same thing that went on with Satan, the same thing that is going on in our own hearts as well. You can say the same thing about Adam and Eve. They were, I mean, they were in in communion with God and they still chose to question his word and to, uh, and to question um, his goodness. So ultimately um, that this is, you know, free will is messy. And I think that when, when you, when you have the capability to be able to choose other than God, um, oftentimes, well, in every instance of, of of sentient free will beings, we have they have screwed it up, um, just like we have screwed it up. And uh, it is interesting that we like to point at Satan and going like you know almost like wagging our fingers. But ultimately, like I said, I'm going to say it again: we are guilty of his sin. Um, but we have been given an an opportunity to uh, to 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 not have to face his judgment. Well, that is all the time we have today. Vince, sum it up for us. Well, I think one principle we can take 
from this episode is whenever we get tough questions, it's important to turn them back on ourselves as well. So why didn't God destroy Satan in the beginning? Important question to ask, why didn't God destroy us after we sinned, uh, after we fell? And actually, the answer to that question is quite amazing and points to his love for us. Uh, Why did Satan sin? Did he have to? Let's ask that question of ourselves as well. You know, why did we um, sin? Did we have to? No, we didn't. But uh, to the pride that's in our hearts. Um, so let's ask these questions uh, about Satan. Let's be uh, humble enough to ask them about ourselves as well. And let's not forget the the ending of the story um, as well. You know, I talked about that story in Genesis and that progression that led uh, to sin and then to shame and to hiding and to finger pointing and to suffering. But the rest of that story is quite amazing. And part of that story is that God, even though Adam and Eve had sinned, goes looking for them and calls out to them and says, where are you? And then when he finds them in their shame, he makes garments for them to cover them in their shame. And then there's this amazing little detail where it says, and he clothed them, this picture of intimacy and love, despite the fallen state that they were in. And then I always think of the end of the Bible as well, where it talks about how God is going to bring all this together in the context of uh, redemption. And it says that at that time, God himself will wipe every tear from our eyes. So uh, we are sinners. Uh, We uh, deserve a bad fate for that. But that is not what God offers us. And he gives us a sign of that right at the beginning in his response to Adam and Eve, that gentle and intimate uh, response of making garments for them and clothing them. And then he gives us that promise of what can be the case in the end if we put our trust in him, that he will wipe every tear from our eyes and that we'll live in a place that he has prepared for us in his home uh, together with him. Guys, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you all for listening and we will catch you next week. To find out more about our ministry or to donate, visit our website at rzim.org. If you're listening in Canada, that website is rzim.ca.